There's lots of things up here. <laughs> Hope I don't knock them off. I am Isetta. And I am a member of Al-Anon, and uh, for that I'm very grateful, um, and I will always be. It has made a big change in my life, and it's allowed me to be able to see things in a different way than I could before. Um, I want to thank the committee, wherever you are, (laughs) for asking me to speak. It seems like this program works in a very funny way. of all times to have to speak is one of the worst times of my life. And uh, last summer, uh, I had some things come up in my life that were uh, pretty traumatic, and I was in lots of turmoil. And it wasn't long after that that I found out that someone had asked me to speak, and I thought, oh, Lord, not now. And um, so sure enough, here I am, and you know why I'm here. Um, I'm here... uh, um, because this is one of the ways that I can pay back what has been given to me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, a couple years ago in our, uh, oh, and I, I am, my home group is the 12-step study group in Casper. Um, a couple years in our home group, um, my sponsor at that time, she said to me, you know, Isetta, you need to quit playing it so close to the vest. You need to uh, let people know more about who you really are, and you guard that very closely. So in my home group, I decided that I would try to share more of really um, what happened to me and, you know, who I am as much as I could figure that out. And uh, it was shortly after that that uh, I was asked to speak at a local group, and um, then uh, I was asked to speak at the June Jamboree, and then I was asked to speak here, and I thought, so you end up telling the whole world <laughs> you know, what you're like. Um, let me give you a little bit on my background so you'll know how I got here. Uh, my parents, um, my uh, mother was Irish, and my father was German. Uh, I was raised Catholic, and um, uh, I grew up in a family that uh, there was uh, a lot of fighting. Um, they were all very strong people and very outspoken. I happened to be the youngest one in the family. Um, I thought that I had to fight my way in order to be heard in that family, and so I just thought that's what we did in this world. Um, my parents had a drinking problem. Uh, to this day, I have no idea whether they're alcoholic or not, and uh, I have found out that it really does not matter whether they were alcoholic or not. All I need to know is what happened to me and the effects that it had on me. And it did have tremendous effects, but I didn't know that for a long time. Uh, I didn't get into Al-Anon until a few years ago, so it took me a long time to even realize I'd been affected by alcoholism. Um, So I set myself on a pretty good course when I was pretty young because um, I grew up not knowing really anything but a drinking world and a drinking family. And uh, my parents, um, they were very well educated. They were college graduates, and they encouraged us. I have a brother who's a year older. They encouraged us to go on to school and to uh, grow up in this world and to do something wonderful. I uh, didn't really have any ambition in my life at all except that um, I was going to grow up and get married and have a big family and live happily ever after. 
I had no desire to go to school. I had no desire for an education. I thought, well, if I grow up and get married, what do I need all that for? Um, My mother, it was during the Second World War, and my dad went into the Navy. And at that time, my mother started drinking. And um, when she started drinking, that wasn't a good deal for her. Uh, It wasn't a good deal for us either. And um, she never could hold her liquor. Uh, I had a brother who was a year, I still have a brother who's a year older. And he uh, was kind of designated my guardian. And I was with him all the time. And during that time, he was sent away for, I think, like to a military school or something, because my dad was overseas, to a military school or something. And I thought it was for a year. And I just found out a few years ago it was only for a couple weeks. And that's the first time that I had ever been left alone uh, without him around. Um, some things happened at that time, and I couldn't tie this in until I came into Al-Anon and, and uh, started learning something about alcoholism and something about my story. And I was about nine years old at the time, and from that time on, I kind of set myself on a course where I decided I was going to run this world my own way uh, because what was happening in my family, um, it didn't seem like that was, you know, that there was any help there. But I didn't know as a kid that that's what was wrong. I had no idea. Um, and all I remember is my parents were gone a lot. And, and now I know why. You know, they were busy. Um, they were busy with their, with their entertaining, their drinking and that type of thing. And we were kind of left on our own. I knew that when I grew up and got married that um, I would just abide my time. And then when I uh, grew up, well, I'd get married and then I'd not have to have my children uh, be raised like I was. Um, as far as the drinking went. It was the drinking that bothered me. Outside of that, I was very fond of my parents, and uh, I, you know, I still am to this day. Um, before, I, before I got married the first time, well, my, when I did graduate from high school, my parents sent me away to school, uh, down to college, and they sent me down to the Bay Area in San Francisco, and they sent me to a girls' Catholic school, which was you know, like a convent. And uh, uh, they had a reason for sending me there. The first thing is, is they, um, I had been with my brother all those years, and so I was a tomboy, and some, they decided that they better send me to a girls' school so I could learn to be a lady. And uh, so I did, and uh, I was there three and a half years, and I had no business being there. I caused the sisters a lot of problems, I finally left after three and a half years. I talked my dad into letting me quit. I did not want to be there. I didn't need an education at all. And so I did quit, and then I went home, and then I did get married. And I married my childhood sweetheart. Um, can't get my breath. <laughs> Two years later, uh, he did die. And the reason I tell you that is because um, at that time we had a son who was six weeks old, and the only reason I tell you that is because dear, after after he died, my parents were so distraught about his death that um, they used that as an excuse to even drink more. And every time they were around me, that's all they did is drink. And um, and you know, and I can remember them saying that uh, you know, don't worry about this because we'll never be alcoholic um, because we eat dinner every night. And uh, and there was one other thing that they always did. It was always because they never used a jigger, you know, when they were mixing the drinks. 
Uh, if anyone's been around drinking, I'm sure you can relate to that. <laughs> you know, it's always because of the jigger is what it was. You know, if we'd used a jigger, well, we wouldn't have drank that much. And um, I can remember that so well, but that really did upset me. Uh, I was really concerned about them. I was not a bit concerned about the fact of it is that I had a six-weeks-old son and that I need to support him and raise him. That was not a concern of mine at all. Uh, when I grew up, I knew that when I got married that I had a responsibility to do whatever was in front of me. And I never even thought of my parents assuming any of that responsibility because when you got married, you were old enough to take this all in your own hand. So, and then a couple years later, I did marry. And uh, the person I married, is this going to fall over? The person I married um, turned out to be the number one alcoholic in my life. Uh, we were married for many years. Um, we had six more sons, with a total of seven sons. Um, the drinking, you know, when I married him, I would not have married anyone who did not drink because it's the only world I knew. And uh, we did socialize a lot, and we went out a lot, and we entertained a lot. And um, But then as time went on, I got tired of that. And um, and I, I, know, I know today that he probably couldn't change that. Um, you know, my experience in living with an alcoholic has been that as long as you drink with them and party with them, everything is okay. You know, but if not, it doesn't work. And um, I got tired of that. That his job kept him away from home a lot, um, so he really wasn't around us. Uh, some of the things, uh, a few, the things that were continually happening in our in our life was that we would make plans to go somewhere. We would plan a family outing, and uh, invariably he'd get drunk the night before, and um, then he wouldn't go. And uh, or he just didn't get out of bed. I thought he was lazy. And until a few years ago, I thought that too, <laughs> you know. Um, I thought that he was lazy, and I thought that he couldn't assume the responsibility, that he couldn't grow up and assume the responsibility of a family. And um, then naturally, I also thought that he just didn't care. Um, I didn't learn until later when I started, uh, came into Al-Anon and learned something about the disease of alcoholism that uh, that isn't necessarily the whole picture. One time when um, uh, he, w- he was drunk at night and uh, he put his hand through a glass door and I had to take him to the hospital. And at that time we had five children and I put all the kids in the car to take them to the hospital. And um, um, while they were sewing him up, well, then one of the kids cut their head and so then the doctor had to sew one of the boys up. And then... Um, during that time I was more concerned about what the doctor was going to think or smell that liquor on his breath that was my biggest concern and in all those in all those times that that type of thing would go on I was so afraid someone would find out uh, that he was drunk and you know now I can see the difference I mean that's some that's his own responsibility but then I felt that that was my responsibility I don't know what I thought but I do know that it was um, that was my biggest concern. We had to always seem like uh, he couldn't go, and so we always had to cancel invitations. Um, I could not, if we were 
scheduled to go somewhere. And uh, then he would get drunk, and then he would get, we'd usually get in a fight, and then we wouldn't go, and then he wouldn't go. And then I would call, and I would cancel the, either the dinner, the invitation, whatever it was that happened to us over and over again. And when I did that, um, I couldn't go. I absolutely couldn't do that. Today I know the difference. You know, if I was in that situation and I would, I could go ahead and say, well, you know, if you think you have to stay here, that's fine. But um, I'm going to go ahead and go. I didn't know how to do any of that, you know. Uh, we were divorced years later. And um, when I divorced him, I couldn't walk away from that marriage. Um, I tried many, many times. And um, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And so the only way I could get away from that marriage was to get mad and to stay angry. Because every time that I... Every time that I tried not to be angry and tried to be nice, uh, I'd end right back in the mess. And so the only way I knew to get away from that was to get mad and to stay angry. It wasn't too hard for me to get mad because I was a hothead anyway, so, you know. But the only thing is that I really hung on to that, and I hung on to that really hard. Um, Oh, thanks. Thank you. Later on, um, when he... uh, Later on, um, after we were divorced, I had to stay mad. And uh, the thing of it is, is what I did is I had heard that, you know, if you hate anyone, then uh, if you pray for them, then that'll go away. And so there were times that I'd pray for him, and then he'd come back in my life. And uh, I, you know, now I know the difference. <laughs> I know the difference now, but all I do is get madder at God because I thought, you know, here I am praying and then, uh, you know, you bring him right back in my life. And here I could have had an opportunity to walk through something, which I know now, which I did not know then. Uh, a, few, a few years later, I did remarry again. And um, he happened to be an alcoholic who was in the progressive stages of alcoholism. And I didn't know that until I came into the program. And learned about alcoholism. And then I can see now that that's what it was. Um, I didn't stay in that marriage long, and I didn't have any trouble getting out of that marriage. I did not want to live that way anymore, and I didn't want my sons to live that way. Um, And so, basically, um, I spent the next 20 years just being furious at this man and blaming him for everything that was going on in our life. Um, It wasn't until I came into Al-Anon that I began to see um, things in a different light. You know, I just stayed angry. And I didn't realize until I came in here how, how angry I was. I didn't realize how um, how I had blamed this man for everything that happened. And that doesn't have anything to do with the fact of it is that maybe some things didn't happen. But I wasn't responsible for that. And I didn't know the difference. So basically what happened is that... Um, um, Finally, someone took me to an open AA meeting, really, is what happened. And um, a couple times before that, I had a neighbor who did belong to Al-Anon, and she said to me one day, she said, well, you know, why don't you go to Al-Anon? And I said, why would I want to go? You know, I have my sons, you know, we're not, I'm not married to an alcoholic, and there's no reason in the world that I'd ever need to go to Al-Anon. And she said, you know, you never know. Um, 
where alcoholism is going to crop up. And she said, you know, it could happen to one of your sons someday. And I thought, it'll never happen to mine because uh, I got him away from that. And um, another time, and I work with older people, and um, this older woman, she was having trouble with her son who was an alcoholic, and uh, she didn't know what to do about it. But I knew, (laughs) I told her, I said, you know, I can't even stand to be around drink people who drink now. And I said that, you know, I've had so much of that in my life, I don't even want to be around people who drink. But I said, I know where you can go. And I, I took her to an Allen on meeting. And, uh, and you know, one of the funny things is, is I heard in that meeting, and I never forgot that, I heard that uh, there's nothing sicker than the family of an alcoholic. And I thought, that's, I mean, it was kind of the craziest thing I ever heard because I thought, how could we be sick or how could I be sick? You know, the alcoholic was the one that was doing all this. So, but I didn't get into Al-Anon right away. It was probably about five years later or so that I finally did. Um, I went to an open AA meeting and um, they uh, were talking about, um, that. they talked about the big book and they talked about the steps and the one thing that that did for me is um, I didn't go there very long because some other things came up in my life and I got busy. But um, one thing that did for me that all my life there had been kind of a, it's a real scary thing, and it was a, a nightmare that I had, and it was kind of like a vacancy and don't even ask, I can't even describe it. But sometimes, you know, they talk about the hole in your soul, and, and that's that separation from that God in your life. And, um, and you know, and I can see that now. And that went away. And so I knew there was something in this program that uh, would uh, that, that did something. But and so, but I just still didn't get in here for about five years from then. You know, I didn't really move at things fast. Um, I finally did get in the door. And when I got in the door, um, it's my home group today. It's in Casper. And um, I finally got in the door. And what I heard was... Um, what I saw there was like courtesy and kindness and um, uh, gentleness and politeness and uh, patience to other people. Um, I had always, in, you know, in spite of everything, that I grew up in a family where I was taught really good manners. And I thought I had good manners. And I could see right away that I had lost that in my life. And... Um, and, and now I know what it was. It was love and action is what it was. Um, and I didn't know that at the time. There was uh, something else that I saw was that um, I knew they knew what was going on in my life. And that's the first place that I had ever been in my life that someone actually knew what was really going on. Uh, I didn't even know at that time what was going on, but I knew they knew. And um, so... Um, so anyway, I stayed, and you know, when I got in there, I had, uh, by the time I got in there, I had gone back to school to finish my degree, and um, I have a degree in social work, and um, I had taken uh, all the addiction classes except for one to become an addiction specialist, and um, I was going to become a counselor, and um, I didn't tell my sponsor this for a few years after I got in there, and she said, thank God you never got loose. Um, and you know it is so true I was so angry and so full of hate and bitterness and anger about what had happened and what I was seeing happen in my own sons 
that, uh, you know, and I knew nothing about alcoholism at all. And so it was a miracle that I didn't get loose. And I have no desire to be a counselor today. You know, thank God. Um, um, see what? Basically, then, well, then, uh, lose my place here. Basically, then, what happened is, is that I started going to that group, and uh, one of the first things I had to learn is, um, first, I. I got a sponsor. I asked someone to be my sponsor in that group. I was always told that, you know, to ask someone that you could relate to. And uh, that, that what you heard them sharing, that, you know, that it meant that, that you could identify with that and relate to that. So I asked this one person to be my sponsor. And um, he said he would. And then I realized that that wasn't the best thing to do. You know, at that time, I didn't think very much of men. Um, in fact, I was very angry at uh, any man that I was around. And so I thought, why would I share anything with a man? And so what I did is uh, I decided that wouldn't be a good thing. But what that did for me, it was the first time in my life I'd ever asked for help. You know, it never dawned on me when I was a kid growing up that if I didn't know how to do something, I couldn't say, you know, show me how to do this. never dawned on me to do that. I just thought I should know that stuff. And so what that did for me is that did... Um, allow me to, I mean, it was the first time I ever got it out of my mouth that I said, you know, I need help with this. Um, I asked this lady to be my sponsor, and uh, she became my sponsor, and uh, she's the one that taught me how to walk these steps. And the first thing is, is you know, we, uh, when, I were, when I first came in there, she said to me, she said, in here we study alcoholism. And she said that... Um, she said, you know, the day will come that you will love the alcoholic. And I didn't say anything to her, but I thought, that'll be a cold day in hell. <laughs> you know, and uh, I thought, good, how could you do that? But anyway, so um, I had to first learn about it being a disease. And see, when I came in there, and I even had a classes in alcoholism, I just can't believe where I was or what I heard. But when I came in there, uh, we talked about it being a disease. And I didn't know it was a disease. I had no idea at all. And um, I can remember in the, uh, in the group, and one night we were visiting after the meeting, and I remember when that moment of clarity came to me and all of a sudden I could accept the fact that it is a disease. That, um, And I knew right then that a door was going to open. You know, I could just see that door opening. I can't quite explain it. But it was like I had a choice right then that I could close that door and not go anywhere else and stay right where I was, or I could just leave that door open. And that, uh, and then by leaving that door open, it made me pos- it made it possible for me to move on to something else. And so then the next thing we went into is the powerlessness, and I had a hard time grasping that. And in our program, it isn't only powerless over alcohol. Uh, it's also powerless over people, places, and things. And, uh, you know, that's really hard when you have a family, when you feel like it's your responsibility, you know, to teach them and guide them. And, I mean, geez, and when you find out you don't even know, didn't even know what you were doing, you know, and you think you're doing everything right, and you're, you know, it's not necessarily so. Here, and, uh, you know, I've learned today that they're individuals too, and that they will develop their own whatever it is they're supposed to be doing, and we don't have to, they don't have to do everything the way we do it. 
And uh, I had a hard time learning that because I came up in a family where that was the way it was. It was very authoritarian. And I tried that on my sons. And um, it worked until they started growing up. (laughs) I have my oldest one sitting in here now. He's going to love this. (laughs) But we said no questions to be asked. Um, The... it was very authoritarian, see, and I didn't know the difference. And it's just so nice to know today that I don't have to do that. Um, I finally read something about powerlessness, and it said, uh, which made sense to me, it says you're exerting power where you don't have any power in the first place. And that clicked for me. And the reason it clicked for me is because I've lived around alcoholics, and I had a son one son that uh, uh, is definitely alcoholic. In fact, I have three who are alcoholic. And um, this one particular son was more fun in high school. Um, and now I know that he drank even more than I thought he did. I knew he drank some, but I had no idea how much. And now, I, now after being in the program and learning more about alcoholism, I can really see it. But I'll tell you, that kid, you know... It didn't matter what I did, and you could not live with that kid and not experience powerlessness. And so when I read that definition, I knew right then what that meant. And so, because I'd had some experience in that, um, this, um, and to me, you know, that the the unmanageability was no problem. It was a problem when I first came in because I didn't know my life had been that unmanageable. And, uh, you know, I couldn't tie all that in. And so basically then when we went into that second step, I didn't realize how angry I was at the God in my life. And um, um, I had always believed in a God, and I've always had a God in my life. But I didn't realize until I got in that second step how angry I was at that God for what uh, for the things that had happened in my life. And um, my sponsor led me back to that you know she led me back to where i could believe in a god that's a good god somehow i had a punishing god in my life and uh, to this day i honestly don't know where that came from i don't ever remember that being hammered into me but i did have a god that's very punishing in my life and she led me back to where i could believe that this god is good um and you know and then now with that first and second step is just so simple to me today is because if I'm trying to exert that power in an area where I don't have it, then I become unmanageable. And to me, that is when I become insane. And so if I want to stay sane, you know, quit exerting that power where it doesn't belong in the first place. And it just makes, it seems so simple now. I'm not saying that I still don't do it, but at least I know what to do about it now when I do it. We went into the third step because the first and second step were so strong that we went, you know, and I had been guided through those very carefully. And uh, we went into the third step, and it was uh, made that decision to turn my will and my life over to, to the to God. I can't remember it all right now. But anyway, um, you know, and I made that decision. Uh, I was willing then, by the time I got here, and they say when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I'll tell you, by the time I got here, and I didn't get here until about five years ago, um, it took me a long time to get here. And by the time I got here, I was more than willing. I at least saw something that was going to work 
for once. And I was more than willing to do anything. I uh, finally found out that I don't know, have to know how to do it, that if I'm willing to do it, that uh, I will be shown how. And I don't, you know, and uh, it is just so simple now if I ask that, the, that it will come to me and I will be shown how. So anyway, I made that decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of the God as I understand him. And um, the, uh, to God as I understand him uh, just makes a lot of sense to me because I, the God I thought everyone should believe in the same God I had. And it doesn't matter who's God or what God or who your God is. It's a matter of believing in something bigger than you are, a power bigger than yourself. And um, that makes it very easy to grasp today for me. Uh, turning my will and my life over to him, and um, I had a little trouble, you know, uh, knowing what his will is. But today I don't even really struggle with that too much. I just, uh, you know, kind of pray for that, and I really try to do that. Um, there my mouth again. Um, the fourth step and the fifth step where we take the inventory, and I told you I was raised Catholic uh, that fourth and fifth step was, um, um, it didn't do for me what I hear a lot of people share in their stories. Uh, when I did that fifth step, I did not walk out of there uh, with the weight off of my shoulders like most people do. Uh, when I was shown how to do that fourth step, the part where, you know, you have to, uh, what is your part in this? You know, it had never, I had never even thought of that before. You know, what part did I have in any of this? And and at least it started me thinking in those terms. And I did the best I could have with it at that time. But it was a long time before I could really get down to really what is my part in this um, on, on that fourth and fifth step. And so it took me a while to feel like that weight was off my shoulders. In fact, it's taken several years because it seems like that... Um, it's a process like everyone knows it is, and uh, it just takes whatever it takes. Um, the sixth and seventh step, uh, I, had a, I had trouble with the sixth step, and it was like, uh, how was I going to ever let that stuff go? And um, I was afraid to let it go. And, uh, you know, let he'd remove those to become willing so that he would remove those defects of character. I was afraid to let that stuff go because at that time, you know, it's, the only way I can describe it is I thought I had like a black soul. And I didn't know what was down there. And so I was afraid if I let that go that I didn't know what was going to pop up there. And I finally got so tired of struggling with it, I finally just said, out oh, of heck with it. And so what I did, I let it go. And what I saw was uh, some good. And to me, what it means today is that that good is in all of us, and it's all there. It's just that what happened to me, that I had covered that up so much that I didn't know it was there anymore. And um, so, you know, I saw that good, and I thought, oh, yeah, I can remember those, some of those things when I was a kid, you know. And so that was good to know. And then that seventh step where um, he would take both the good and the bad. That meant a lot to me because I thought I had to become perfect and get this program down, you know, just perfectly and everything. And then uh, uh, then I could go to God and he would do these things for me. Well, I found out that he takes the bad too. And, uh, you know, that was, that was a, an, an enlightening thing for me to find that out. I have the 10th step, which every day, you know, that 10th step gives me a way to clean up the mess I do today which um, is so nice. 
um, I don't have to carry this stuff around. And if I carry it around, well, then I just carry it because I guess I want to suffer. But I don't have to do that today. And then I have the 11th step that um, I can start each day um, anew. And with the prayer and meditation, you know, I can go into things um, hopefully spiritually fit. It gives me the opportunity to do that. Um, Sometimes in our meetings, and I was told this, that to go into your meeting and uh, go in there with the idea that... uh, that you are spiritually fit because, you know, why am I there? Uh, you know, what is my purpose for being there? And sometimes, you know, if I go in there and I'm thinking about, you know, what am I going to say or this or that or anything else, uh, it doesn't work. And I saw something just almost like a miracle happen the other day in our meeting. Um, we had a newcomer in there that um, something was shared, and this newcomer picked up on it. And it was sharing just some experience, strength, and hope. And this newcomer picked up on it and had to do with a punishing God. And that newcomer had never talked before, and he started talking about, you know, that he had related to what happened. And I can see today how important it is to be spiritually fit because you never know what you're going to say or do that someone might hear that might help them. And that's what our program is, is, you know, to pass that on. Um, they had asked me to talk some about service, and uh, so we go into we go on into the twelve step. And there's a couple of things I want to share with you before I get into that twelve step. I need some water. <laughs> Just amazing how dry your mouth can get up here. Um, after going through these steps, one of the th- a couple of things that happened to me is that. Uh, when I was a kid, that we had a prayer that was in, in our church, and it was called the Act of Contrition. And um, a part of that prayer said, um, uh, you know, that you're sorry for your sins um, because you've offended God, um, most of all because you've offended God, um, or because of the just punishment. And as a kid, I used to think, you know, I would really like to be sorry because I had offended God. But I knew that I was not. I knew that I was sorry because of the punishment. And I used to think, I wonder how people do that. I, I could not grasp that. Since I've been in the program, I know what they're talking about now. I also, since I've been in the program and have gone through the 12 steps, I can understand our Father now. Uh, and, you know, I had said that. I, I learned that when I was a little kid. Um, but now I can understand it. Um, you know, I can understand about the forgiveness. I can understand that we'll do things on earth as we do them in heaven. And I thought, well, I mean, there's a lot of sense in all this. Um, I couldn't understand that stuff before. Um, we had, last summer, I had some things come up in my life that kind of, uh, it didn't really change my program, but it, but um, the, uh, some things happened. Um, You'll hear me share in my story a lot about how much I hated that alcoholic and I blamed him for everything. And uh, I shared once that I had read a story about a lady that uh, she had some resentments and it took her five years to get rid of them. And I thought, geez, how could anyone with a program hang on to resentment for five years? And um, I had this resentment for 23 years uh, on the alcoholic. And you know... This program says if we take the action, that we will see the results. 
And all of a sudden, last summer, that went away. I don't even know when it went away. It just went away. Uh, and the reason I know it went away, one of my boys was sharing something about their dad one day, and I didn't have that same feeling, you know, that I always had. And it's kind of like, I've been carrying all this stuff around so long, and so what do I do with my spare time now? No. <laughs> <laughs> It was. It was just kind of like falling off a cliff for a few minutes, but then, you know, it's it's a good thing. And then the second thing, the second thing that happened to me was, um, and so I was kind of dangling out there. And the second thing that happened to me that there was a, there's a person in my life that has been there for 20 years, and um, uh, I've worked with this person for a long time in a business way, and he came into my life in a more personal way last summer. And I realized, and you know, it's so funny the way that God works on you. And I realized then at that time that I was not willing to share my part in my life in this program with anyone else. It's very guarded and very secret. And um, so what I did is, uh, and so what I could see then, I thought, you know, and in our in our meeting today, there was one of the talked about... I wrote that down when she shared that. Uh, talked about, you know, sharing our program with other people. And she, she, she was C, she's CPC chairman, I think. But anyway, she was talking about sharing our program with other people. And I've lost the paper, so I guess that's all right. But anyway, she said basically, as, as you know, that we hide that for so many years. And we don't want people to know. And I've been in the program five years now, and I thought that I had uh, opened up on that and let people know. But you know, the people outside of here don't really know that. And for me to even sit here and tell you all this isn't the easiest thing in the world. And if I had come in here five years ago, if they told me that I would have to do this someday, I never would have stayed. And I don't think anyone would have, (laughs) you know, you know, that this is part of the deal. Um, so I had the opportunity to see that, that I have to, that this program, I mean, it needs to be in all parts of my life and not to guard it and hide it, you know, from other people. Um, I was in a lot of turmoil at that time, just a terrible amount of turmoil. And I was in, in my home group I couldn't even share. It seems like every time I go to share that I would fall apart. I tried to talk to my sponsor at that time, and it just didn't seem to work out. And there was something that was changing there that I couldn't put my finger on. And so um, I had to make a decision there to do something different. And uh, I left the sponsorship I had. And um, that sponsor, I will always be so grateful for what she's given me. But the change came, and I had to make that change. And the reason I had to do that was because... When I was living with alcoholism, I couldn't leave that, and that was not a good marriage. And yet I could not leave it, and I could not figure out why I couldn't leave. And today I think it's because I could not trust myself. I could not trust what was going on inside me for some type of a guide on what is the thing to do. And so today, you know, when I'm in a relationship and it doesn't seem to be working anymore and everything changes in our day, everywhere, in our lives all the time, that I know today that if I have that something going on inside me that's not working, that I need to do something different. And so that's what I chose to do. I might find out in the future that I've done the wrong thing, but right now, if I can't trust what's going on inside me, I won't be able to trust anyone. And this program is my responsibility and no one else's. And so 
you know, I have to follow that guide that I have, and I'm hoping uh, if I, I just have to do it. I have to experience it, or I'll never do it, or my program will always be someone else's, and it can't be. You know, it has to be my program. Um, and I guess that, that is so important why this, you know, this one day at a time, we never know what's going to come up in our life that uh, things will change for us. Uh, this program's about change. Life is about change. And uh, we better be very grateful for what we have right this moment because we know, don't know what tomorrow might bring. Um, on the 12th step, you know, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Um, I... Uh, never had any burning bushes. It seems like my program is just slow and steady and hard. Um, I have to make sure that I really stay open. Uh, I I want to grow uh, the 10th, 11th, and 12th step. A lot of people call it maintenance steps. I call them growth steps. Um, When I stop growing, you know, I'm going to go back, and that's not what I want to do. I have a problem um, staying open. I will close down really easy. Uh, but if I keep paying attention, watch those opportunities that, you know, that I can probably continue to grow. Um, how can I carry this message? You know, how can I, um, how can I do this 12 step unless I do service work? And our third legacy is, um, the third legacy of our program is service, you know, and, um, Carrying the message is one of the is one of the ways you do this service. There's a quote I'd like to read, and it was in um, it's one of the quotes in one of our books. The only one among you who will really be happy are those who have sought and found how to how to serve, and that's by Albert Schweitzer. Um, I had never were heard the word service used this way until I came in here. You know, they talk about service, and I didn't know what they're talking about, but I sure do now. Um, you know, you, you can't practice the 12 step. At least that's what I was taught. I can't practice that 12 step unless I'm willing to do the service and to give this away. Um, when I was working through the steps with my sponsor in the big book, the 12 step, um, I kept putting off reading that chapter, and I, I would go home and read it, but I didn't tell her that. And the way I was sponsored is you read to her, and um, I didn't read that for a long time to her. But then one day when I was at her house, well, then she said, um, you know, let's read this. And I said, well, okay, I don't know what good it's going to do. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to do this. I had no idea how I could ever practice this 12-step. And, uh, you know, today it just goes along with the deal. Um, How do I do that today? I go to my meetings. Um, I go to meetings once a week now at my home group in Casper. I used to go four or five times. I don't go that often anymore. I work with the newcomers, and I take my part in the group, uh, you know, the best I can. Um, I am involved in the area, and um, what do I do in the area? I'm the uh, newsletter editor. Uh, someone asked me if I'd do that, and I said, yes, I'd do that. I was told to say yes to everything in service. Um, 
On the district level, I am the alternate DR, and in our district, that means you're the secretary and treasurer, and so I do that. Um, talking today, that is one of the ways I do service, um, one of the hardest ways, I might add. Um, sponsorship is a very important part of service. Um, the first time someone asked me to sponsor them, I talked to my, I asked my sponsor about it, and she, I said, how can I do that? She and you know, I thought I had to be some sort of a guru. I had to know all this stuff. And she says, no, all you do is stay in the literature, share in the literature what you have been given. And I found out in sponsorship, if you stay in the literature, you really see the growth. But when I, you know, you get off in the other part where you're starting to give advice and that type of thing, I don't see it work. Um, I have a responsibility today. I heard a speaker, I think it was about a year ago, and he said, um, he said, uh, you owe it. If you've got one day, you owe it. And, uh, I mean, to me, that's the responsibility today. And I do owe it because today I can, I see things so differently than I saw them before. It's almost like I was in a, uh, a dark room before, and here was this other room over here, and I didn't even know it, this world. You know, it's like, and the light comes on. And um, I would not have seen that stuff if, um, if I hadn't been in Al-Anon. I just hope it doesn't take uh, most people as long as it took me to get here. I have, um, it's very important that I pass it on and share my life with others. Um, I have some things in my life today that, you know, and I figure there's like five areas of my life. And one of them is my family. And, um, you know, all that time I was raising that family, there's never once that I would have ever done anything to harm them. And, you know, today, thanks to this program, I am developing a good relationship with practically every one of my sons, you know, that I can really enjoy them, and I think they're even getting to where they can enjoy me. Um, I have a job that I really like, and, I, and I'm good at it. Um, and so I'm very fortunate that, and I have... Um, the Al-Anon program, but the one thing is um, uh, blocking myself off in that personal way, you know, that I will do today. And so when that happens, I have to remember, you know, uh, someone told me to ask myself, you know, how am I powerless today? What am I doing that's blocking me off from God today? And um, I'd like to close with my favorite little quote that I just absolutely love that just turned the program around for me. And it was Mother Teresa, and she says, you know, that God loves the world through us. And, you know, just to be able to know that you can do something like that, you know, and how can you do it if you don't practice this program? Uh, thanks. <laughs>